2: this episode of the modern drummer podcast with mike and mike is brought to you by dream symbols manufacturers of handmade hand-hammered symbols at very affordable prices so please follow them on facebook and instagram just search for at dream symbols and check them out
0: What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 112 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host will be joining me shortly as Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk about how different hoop types can change the way your drums sound. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Trey Cool from the band Green Day. In our gear review section, Mike and I will be checking out the Roland Go Mixer. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Phone while I <laughs> Take three. Well, welcome. Take three. How you doing, man? I'm good. All's
2: good now that we've gotten Skype. I think I might almost have to say Skype is, is no longer gonna be endorsed by the Mike and Mike, <laughs> <Drummer> podcast <laughs> podcast. Mike. Uh,
0: Bye bye, Skype. <laughs> Hello, FaceTime Audio. That's fine by me. I've got one of those great unlimited plans, so bring it on. Yeah. We're fine. Oh good. How are you? I'm good, man. Uh, feeling all better from being sick. Just had a three-day camp, and it was one of those. So I do one three-day camp per year usually. Uh, most of my camps are five or more, and it was that one camp camp where I was like, don't leave, don't be a three-day camp. These guys are awesome, Uh, guys and girl. And it was just an incredible camp, got along with everybody so well, and just did not want to let them go after three days, especially because we're really starting to move forward. Why do you do three days? Uh, There's just a lot of people that honestly can't take five to six days off of work. okay, gotcha. And so we just had a big request for them. Generally ends up being people from California or at least the West Coast that can drive to camp, uh, and so it's it's just a cheaper option. Now they're only paying the camp fee, but they maybe they don't have to pay for the flights. Yeah. So I mean, I, I like doing three day camps when it's based on a specific topic. If we're gonna do one topic, three days isn't more than enough. But this was just a shortened version of my camp, so I had a blast with that. And then today, I just got the first mix audio mix from the sessions I did in Nashville. And uh, it was really cool to hear our band remixed by, you know, a professional working Nashville producer, and, and hear because I gave him full autonomy with the tracks. I said, "Here's the guitar tracks. You know, please don't change the effects, but other than that, do what you will." And uh, it, you know, what's crazy is, I think nine out of ten drummers would like the Nashville version way better than what we're going to put out. Uh, cause but it's, clean. it's still not because it. Well, it's clean and it's it's very produced it's very focused yeah. every time i hit a floor tom it goes
2: doom mm-hmm.
0: you know and i just i fell in love with that uh stefan harris and blackout or blackout and stefan harris record that terry Goalie's on where i just feel like i'm in the room with him when he's playing everything that brian blade's ever recorded with joshua redmond i feel like i'm in the room with him yeah. you know yeah. and i just thought we have we have that thing in especially in fusion but definitely since we're kind of Pushing towards the heavier side of fusion in heavy music and fusion, we have that thing of flawless drums that almost sound sampled. Yep. What would that music sound like with more of a Brian Blade jazz recording approach? And so, uh, so yeah, so it, it was really interesting to hear, and he, he crushed the mix. And I will say this: his mix is going to be ten times better for video content mm-hmm. because when you're watching a drum video, you actually. It feels weird if the drums are at the right volume. The drums actually need to be louder than the music for you to get the effect that you want from a drum video.
2: Yeah, that makes sense Um, because you're seeing the stick hit everything. You want to hear
0: that. Exactly. I've noticed every time that I've put out something where it was properly mixed, people would say the drums are really low. And I'm like, no, this is how drums should be you're just used to hearing drum heavy mixes from covers and stuff yeah. so the way he mixed it is going to be flawless for the recordings and that really was his overall job so i uh, can't wait for everybody to hear it i think they're gonna our ep comes out on the 15th it'll be called moore's law and then i think maybe the 16th is when mine will release the first video so ah, that's cool. soon yeah, it's coming up, and none of us are going to be in town when it happens. Hey, so we're kind of nervous because I'm like, well, I've never put out music. Is there like a release on the 15th button? <laughs> like, I don't know. Are you guys so, going to do a release show at some point? I hope so, yeah. I mean, honestly, this has taken – because we kind of really got going as a band right when my camp season started, we haven't had any time to write. So we have three songs, and we've just kept – Tweaking those and then recording those and re-recording those, so uh, I'm I'm hoping that we'll eventually have an album release and then and then we can do like a, a show or maybe even a short tour. Yeah. So, uh, but we'll definitely play you know local shows just for fun, and uh, it's been a blast. Other than that, um, the Nelson Drum Company is uh, had their grand opening. Well, if you're listening to this on Friday, they had their grand opening yesterday. And all the videos that I did while I was also there in Nashville just started kind of coming out on their channel, so that's been really fun to see.
2: So we were talking a little bit before about how mm. the drums sound different when you're playing them versus how they recorded, and I think that's that's man. an interesting experience. That if if you've never had that happen to you, it's it's shocking right. the first time. Like when I because I saw some of the clips, I was like, I, first thing I thought was, man, those toms are just like humming, and the bass drum is humming. There's like a constant bed of some kind of a tone. Right, and it was. I'm sure you weren't hearing that as you were playing.
0: No, I would have shut it down, and or what we talked, you and I talked about off the air is I would have just played much different, right? Mm. And um, I would have played more appropriate to the kit. It. I will say that the kick, the kick drum, did have that growl to it, but it wasn't very long, so I felt like okay, I can, I can play somewhat busy, and it's going to be fine. You know, sometimes the kick has the initial growl of being wide open and then keeps going like an eight Oh eight. It's like, okay, I can literally only use this on the downbeat of one (laughs) and then we're out. Um, this didn't have that. And I thought like, Oh, this is going to be fun. I can get like that car lock thing going. And then, yeah, when I heard the videos, I think they sound fantastic, but there's, there's a lot of drum noise. Like the kick is activating the toms. The toms are activating the snare and the whole kit's just reverberating. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it, it was definitely something where I still, like, when I see it, I just have this happy memory of being there and having fun with Bryson and his wife and the whole crew that was there. But I also think, like, oh, I wish I would have played something super slow so you could just hear each drum, you know, do its job. Mm. So, But no matter what, I had a blast. And... um it's funny. The first video that came out, I was like, oh, that's pretty busy. And then the second video that came out is more of like a six eight Afro-Cuban thing, and it worked a little bit better on that kit. But I think we did two videos on that kit, and then we did like five other kits, and they all sound very different. So oh, wow. it should be fun. But if you guys are in the Nashville area, uh, please head on down to the Nelson Drum Company. You can just search for them on Instagram, at Nelson Drum Co. And then uh, find out their address and just go play some vintage drums. I promise it's going to change your perspective on the entire industry of drumming when you get to see drums from the 1930s and 40s and 50s and get to hit them and play them. It'll be a lot of fun for you.
2: Yeah, I just did a, a few tracks for someone using vintage drums and they just record really well (laughs) it's it's like i can't i can't really quantify why or what it is i think part of it is because they are a little bit duller and and softer sounding so they don't just oversaturate the mics but i mean this is a pretty heavy heavy rock thing kind of like queens of stone age or something and they just punched right through it's like yep there's still something about it there's also just a vibe to it Uh, but i wouldn't play them live it's like it's it's this weird um dichotomy like i wouldn't use vintage drums live because they just wouldn't give me enough and they would you know the hardware is sketchy the spurs could strip out a lot easier but
0: yeah i think that that's you know i I definitely wouldn't be looking for a vintage kit for my touring kit but definitely if, if i knew like okay this is my drum set piece of furniture that's just gonna sit in this corner of my house and every time i get home i'm gonna see this gorgeous vintage thing and i'm gonna play the hell out of it I think it's fine. But like you said, the drums really aren't the problem besides the volume and the attack. I mean, they just do what they do. But it's the hardware, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And even when I was ordering my broadcaster with Gretsch, I was like, yeah, oh, cool. You offer vintage hardware, but it's brand new. And they're like, okay, heads up. This is literally the same hardware we used in 1940. (laughs) It's just shinier. (laughs) You don't want it. And I'm like, wait, what? And they're like and they said the rail mount on the bass drum is totally cool. Trust me, you do not want these spurs. Um, it, you know, now if I was playing a totally different genre of music, if I wasn't such a heavy hitter, it would be fine. They would totally be fine. But, you know, if I was playing some with a folk artist and really keeping the volume down, of course it'd be great. But but yeah, so what's uh what's new with you, buddy? What is new with me? i um, just Typical stuff. My eyes are healed. So,
2: no more squeamish stories about laser beams oh, zapping my retinas or anything. <laughs> That's all good.
0: As soon as I got home from last week's recording of this podcast, Amber said, So, are you getting LASIK? I'm like, Hell yes, I'm getting LASIK. Absolutely. Yeah. She's like, well, What do we do with our brand new box of one year of contacts? I'm like, Who gives a crap? Throw that thing in the trash. I want a laser in my eyeball.
2: Yeah, and a few people will be like, "Man, that was really cringy." I'm like, "Yeah, I know. I tried to give you the worst possible description, <laughs> so then you can realize it's still not that bad." I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty pretty strange, but it's not that bad.
0: So it sounds like it's an odd experience, but it doesn't sound like it's it's like a horror film as far as what you go through as the patient. Yeah, no, I think there's many other things that we do to ourselves probably on a daily <laughs> basis that's much more right. uncomfortable than that, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in California, you know, we get Botox in our elbows just so we don't have wrinkly elbow skin. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's not real. That is, I, I made that up. Please, if I see you at Nam, don't pinch my elbow skin just to see if it reacts. <laughs> my elbows are totally normal. Elephant skin. Get rid of that elephant skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. come on now. Somebody might take a picture of my elbow. Gotta have tight skinned elbows. All right, should we talk Man. about some drumming or drummers or yes. something good? Can Gosh. we talk about something real quick uh, outside of this? So. I had a guy come by yesterday from Colombia. Uh, he just happened to be visiting California for something and contacted Amber and said, "Hey, can I swing by the Mike's Lesson Studio and meet Mike and see the place? Because I've been a fan for a while." Comes by and he's he also happens to be a professional percussionist in Colombia. And so I ended up getting like an hour long lesson, nice. on all things Colombia, Cuban, Afro Colombian. It was so awesome. You know, he was and he said okay do you know the song um yo no se sé mañana and i said yeah yeah i know that song really well and he said what would you play on that and so i put on the song and he went in the control room and i played and he's like no no no, no you can't play that and he and he gave me this it was so awesome man and then he signed up for a camp uh, nice it was great so are you yeah, gonna yeah, get some secrets or what are you just gonna brag about hell it? hell no are you kidding <laughs> no way you gotta come to a camp for that no, I mean the main thing was like him showing me how to you know accentuate a clave on the hi-hats maybe without actually playing the clave pattern. Um, and it wasn't uh, you know cascara either. It was just this vibe that was happening. He also showed me, I said, Man, can you play this for me? Can you play the downbeat, all the downbeats, all the quarter notes on the bell, and then the and uh, on the ride. So give me one, and a two, and a three. And immediately and he didn't know that I was, you know, searching for something. He went, ding, da-da-ding, da-da-ding, ding, uh, da, da, da-da-ding. And I was like, oh, ah, yeah. how do you have that built into your blood, man? That is, he, And he was like, you know, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, I would play it so Caucasian. Mm-hmm. One, and a two, and a three, and a four. You know, it would be mathematically flawless, or as much as I can make it. And he just had this, this kind of latin lope to it that doesn't swing and it's not straight and i was like oh god i've been searching that for that forever so yeah. we we just had a lot of fun and i'm i'm i have to mentally prepare myself for when he comes to camp to not turn it into my camp from him because <laughs> when it comes to like general drumming he definitely is you know gonna have a lot of fun. he needs the camp yeah. but when it comes to his culture, of course, he knows more about it than I do, and I have to be careful to not be like, "Hey, uh, Juan, is there any way you could just stick around for an hour and teach me?" Because I, I, I just, I, I love that stuff, man. So, all right, let's get into some more stuff. This is, this is the goods right here, man. Which one? We're talking, we're talking about hoops. Oh, we're talking yeah, about hoops, hoops, baby. I think we might have had
2: a you know different times talk about it, but in the new issue of the magazine, Russ Miller breaks down his thoughts on the basic drum hoops style. So I thought it was a good jumping point for us to kind of dig in, maybe a little bit deeper than we did in the past. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Every every couple of weeks we get a question about the hoops and should I use die cast, should I
0: use triple flange. So we just kind of go step by step. Yeah, and let's talk about the different types of hoops that are out there. Uh, So I would say, would you say that most general drums, if you went to the music store right now, the average drum set would come with triple flange hoops? Absolutely, but here's
2: okay. here's oh, the the inside scoop that most people aren't aware is there are different thicknesses of triple flange hoops and mm. that is oftentimes how you save money on manufacturing is you use these thinner, cheaper triple flange hoops. So mm-hmm. if you get in a cheap, you know, price and not, you can feel that stuff too. Exactly. So if you're getting like a low price kit, chances are the hoops are going to be the thinner uh, I think they might be like 1.5 uh, millimeter hoops. Right. Those are thin. Like if you take them off the drum, you can you can flex them a bit. Light. But on the yeah, opposite yeah, yeah, yeah. side of the spectrum, there's 3.0, which is getting close to like a die cast, super stable. And would those be called the power hoops? I think, yeah, I guess that's, I don't know who, who branded that, but there's, I think okay. each company has their own version of that. But then the standard I think is a 2.0 or 2.5, I'm not sure, but... So there's definitely at least three different thicknesses of triple flange. So just saying I want to get triple flange and what does that do to my sound, it's going to be different. I mean, I've had this. This happened to me with a snare drum I had. It was a steel drum. It came with the thin triple flange hoops. And for whatever reason, the drum, it just felt like it was just out of control. Like I couldn't get anything. It just, the tone just felt fuzzy and and not focused. And it's like, why is it? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a stainless steel shell and it's got triple flange hoops on. Everything's good. The heads are good. Turns out that it had the thin hoops on it. So the moment I changed the hoops out, the drum just like, ah, oh, now it's all there. Totally right. There. So that would be, you know, I guess if you have like a really dull drum, maybe use the thinner triple flange. If you have a really lively drum, maybe you need to go to the thicker triple flange. Mm. Uh, so it's so, there's so many degrees of this, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other thing, too, is because because the head has a lot to do with it, and if you don't have two of the exact same drum to compare, you don't really know, like, what is the hoop doing? What is the head doing? Should I switch to a single-ply head to get more spray, or should I keep the double-ply head for durability and then switch to some thinner hoops and take off my die-cast hoops? The other thing is I think die-cast hoops sometimes can get a bad rap, and they aren't good or bad. They do exactly what they're supposed to do. It's whether or not it fits your sound. Yeah,
2: you know? um, yeah,
0: exactly. And that's a weird thing that we deal with a lot in the drum world is you hear somebody say, like, oh, single flange sucks. Die cast sucks. And it's like, well, no, they don't. They do exactly what they're supposed to do. They may suck for what you're trying to get out of the drum. Yeah. And in that case, it's on you to have the knowledge to know what these are going to do. Uh, now, do you own any drums that have single-flange tubes? I do. Yeah, I have a couple. Okay. I have Actually, I put
2: single-flange... Um, so Single-flange is just like a straight hoop with claws. That, that
0: would Think be, of it like a whiskey barrel. Actually, it's just like your bass drum, really.
2: Yeah, exactly, except for it's made of metal. Yep. Yeah. Um, Triple-flange would be the one that has the extra fold at the top that rounds it off, usually coming out towards you. Uh, yep. So, yes, yeah, single-flange I have on an old Acrylite that I keep tuned really low because that's what that that hoop allows me to do is keep tension on the head pretty low and it doesn't restrict it or cause any kind of you know like if i put a die cast on that it probably would have some overtones that were just too prominent so it's kind of the opposite of that steel drum i was talking about i've got this single flange on an acrylate with like a uh, evans hydraulic head on it or something i can't remember what it is but it's a super heavy head so i want as little tension on that head as possible so i use a single flange now that hoop would not withstand if I took it out with a modern rock band, <laughs> you know, that would be bent out sure. of the shape. And the same thing with the thinner triple flange, the, they will
0: bend if you play a lot of rim shots, they will get warped. Right. And the thing is, you won't see them bending until you change your head. Um, so you might be really struggling with getting the right sound and thinking something's wrong, but you never change the head. Now, once you change the head and take the hoop off, set it on a flat surface, you're like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, and you can usually bend them
2: the back hell. in the straight. You can be pretty aggressive right. with them. So, yeah, back to your point before, I think rather than changing drum heads, I would suggest having two different types of hoops. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if, you, if you're a single-ply coated user, don't necessarily think you have to change heads if you want to get a more focused sound. Maybe try a die-cast hoop or right. a wood hoop and see what that does. Uh, it's all kind of mix and match, um, I don't, but I don't routinely change hoops. I kind of find the hoop that works for any particular drum and just keep it there. And yeah, quite honestly, sure. nine times out of ten, it's whatever the manufacturer gave me
0: is what should be on there. Yeah, I mean, you have to think that the manufacturer has <laughs> access to all these hoops, so they probably do a little Frankenstein test, and they mix and match, and they try things out. And they go, wow, this thing really sings or is really focused, What you know, whatever they're, whatever they're looking for. Uh, I will say that still, and this is not a, a Gretsch thing, but my favorite hoops are still the ones that come on the Brooklands, uh, which are the double flanged hoops. I just really like the way they look. I like the way they sound. They're not as focused as the die cast. They're not as open as single flange. And I, I can't remember if they call those the 302 hoops or the 602 hoops. I think it's
2: 302, um, but yeah. I, 302. Yeah. Yeah, those are those are <clears> nice. <throat> yeah. I mean, the Gretsch sound for me, I think of the Gretsch sound of the studio guys, the eighties, the you know, the right. Toto and, and Vinny, the guys who were making these really high fidelity recordings, that to me is a die cast sound.
0: Right, of course. Like yeah. that's
2: Gretsch shells, die cast hoops. And I think you can transform just about any six ply shell and close to that sound with die cast hoops. I think the mm-hmm. hoops play a huge part in that kind of classic studio
0: sound. Yeah, and you know, another thing is they they stick out a little bit higher. So when you first switch out to diecast hoops, at least on my drums, you're going to hit a lot of rims in the beginning. Um, did your kids you know, come with them on the toms? They did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, my USA did, and then my renowned did. And then both Brooklyn and Broadcaster come with 302 hoops. And did
2: you notice right Um, away that those drums were tanks, like heavy?
0: Oh, my gosh, yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, God. The 16 in a bag is like – I'm like, did I put the legs in the bag too? This (laughs) thing's so heavy, man. Um, But they do their job. And every time someone comes here and plays my – because I have my USA Custom, the reason it's never on stage for my videos is because it's in my old sizes, 22 by 18 – uh, 10 by eight and 16 by 16. And so when people come here and they go into my private lesson room and they play that kit, they're like, this is the greatest drum set ever. Yeah. Well, it, it is for what it does. Once again, it's, it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It's focused. It's, it's kind of drum candy. You know what I mean? You got a Gretsch USA custom with die cast hoops, tuned. Well, it's, it's always going to appeal to a drummer's ear. It's not what I'm looking for right now in my personal sound, but it, I can't deny that it, it sounds amazing.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like... Um, that's kind of why I like, on the opposite side, why I like funky old drums, because you can you can coax a lot more sound out of them on different timbres, but... If sure. you're looking for just a consistent tom sound, I wouldn't go with like a s- single flange drum from the '50s because it's right. if you hit slightly off center, you're going to be like, "Whoa, I didn't know that overtone was in there."
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's part of being you know it's part of the growth as a drummer, or just like we've talked about so many times, the analogies to golf. But you know, when as you get better, you can handle having a smaller sweet spot, and you actually start to appreciate. Okay, if I want that pure, beautiful tone, I'm going to have to be very precise with my drumming, but I also like all the tones between that sweet spot and the and the rim. Yeah. Um yeah. I'm gonna ask for some of those every once in a while. But with your average drummer just playing kind of the around the world fill of it's like they're gonna get a How was that? Did I get that?
2: I kind of I could envision the stick marks on the heads as soon as you did that. Right. It's like quarter size in the center, Gavin Harrison style and then like Brian right. Blade, Stanton Moore, like all over, scratching up the head. And right. Stuff.
0: Well, and, and it would always be some sort of dipped, like red stick <laughs> where they come into my lesson room and I'm like, oh, God, I just changed out my, all my coated heads. And then they, it's like, you know, Amber comes in. And she's like, why is there lipstick all over your toms? I'm like, babe, it was an eight year old with red painted sticks. All right. Calm down. All oh, right. So man. let's just wrap this up by saying that the hoops really do have quite an effect on the sound. The other thing that we should talk about quickly is from single flanged to triple flanged to die cast, all the way up to wood hoops, they are so different to play on sonically. Because yeah. I play on my rims quite a bit. So that really matters to me. So, best rim click sound, which would you go for? Ooh, ooh, uh, cross stick on die cast. Mm-hmm. good i would i would say wood if i needed that that kind of
2: thicker wood block sound mm-hmm. but i think if mm-hmm. i want that kind of clean you know whatever you would call that sound bright rim click definitely die cast
0: yeah i just want that i want it to sound like vinny i i mean every cross stick i play um i want it to sound like vinny uh playing with sting it just it's like I still, until you see him in concert, I'm like, I don't believe that's real. There's no one that can play acrostic that sounds like he just hit two claves together. This makes no sense, but he can. So, but yeah, I would definitely say uh, for guys and girls out there, just. Check out different hoops, and, and maybe even have a, if you have a drum buddy that has a snare with die-cast hoops, and you have a snare with triple flange, ask them, like, hey, you want to trade hoops for a week? Let's just find out what it does to our you know respective drums. There's, you will never hurt the drum by switching out the hoops. I promise you that. So have fun with it. Try different things out, and realize that the drum that you already own is probably pretty versatile just through the choice of heads and hoops. Now we get into our featured artist, Mr. Trey Cool from the band Green Day. <laughs> Near here, he's about a, I would assume that Green Day started at a, oh man, what was that club in Berkeley? I can't even remember it now. But there's there's a uh, an old punk club in Berkeley that everyone had to play because every punk band in the Bay Area got their start there. Gilman Street. So, uh, played there many a times, just trying to get some of that Green Day success. Uh, I was lucky enough to have my first uh, album uh, that I recorded, the producer that did our album had just um, finished doing the last two Green Day records, so got some insight on them. But honestly, Trey is one of the drummers that I've never met. I don't know him, and I know very little about his playing. Do you know Trey? No, I wouldn't say I know him. I mean, we've you know met at
2: NAMM shows and stuff, but I wouldn't say that I know him. And there is, I, first of all, I thought I assumed they were like an LA or so- SoCal band. I didn't, mm. I didn't know they were from the Bay Area until I read his his sort of the bio part of his cover story um yeah i didn't realize that he actually comes from like a hippie background like his he he was out living out in the middle of nowhere with like very little modern technology (laughs) in in his house yeah it's pretty interesting i I didn't know that at all yeah i don't want to give away too much if you read the story we actually had to cut some stuff out that just wasn't age it wasn't uh eighth grade level
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) nice
2: yeah, it was like, oh, man, that's, I was like, that's really cool. That's going to really offend some people. So let's take that out of the, out of the story.
0: That's got to <laughs> be uh, the same thing as interviewing Chad Smith, I would assume. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. I mean, it wasn't profane. It was just It was just controversial, like a way of controversial lifestyle.
0: Okay, I could see that. Sure. Um, so, well, that's cool to know that he came from that. So do you know where he's at drum-wise now? Is he an SJC artist? Yeah, he is. He's an
2: SJC, awesome. and he's been with Zildjian the whole time. Um, I've always loved his drum sound. I think he's got, you know, it's it's always felt really thick and powerful as opposed to, like, the tin can modern pop punk sound that a lot of guys were getting at the
0: time. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I actually went to Rob Cavallo, who had um, produced and mixed. He did Dookie and then the one after that. And he was getting ready to do our record. And I said, hey, man, somewhere in between... Um, load or reload from Metallica and uh, the newest Green Day record at the time that you just did. And he's like, okay, first of all, that Green Day sound isn't going to work for you. And I was like, uh. okay. And then uh, he just kind of shut that down. He's like, and then the Metallica sound, that's fine, but you got to go tell your bass player he won't be on this album. because <laughs> We need all the low-end frequencies for your floor tom and your bass drum. And I was like, oh, okay, well, where do we go from there? And then this was the great lesson. He's like, I don't know. We sit down and we listen to your band and we mix, but trying to chase trey Cool's sound it already happened let it go uh, you know and it was it was a great lesson to be like oh okay um yeah and and then he's like by the end let's make sure someone else is coming to me and saying hey i want the mike johnston sound from this album and we've created something that was appropriate for your for your band and for the way you play um now do so you know he was really, do you know if, oh, sorry, if go ahead. he dropped samples onto your record or not uh i don't know if he did i know ben gross did who did uh Ben Gross literally mixed everything in the 2000s that was major, and I know he put some samples on my stuff. Okay. Yeah, I know those. But I don't know if he did on the first record.
2: It's That's like a tough point of contention where... It, like, I, I think Trey's drum sounds are all real, but who knows? It's really hard to say. But either way, I love his sound. It's really
0: dense. Yeah. Especially a snare yeah. drum. He's got a
2: really powerful snare drum
0: sound. For sure. And I think one thing that's really cool is, you know, you have... I mean the the albums I've never been in the mixing room with him I've never seen him track and I you know I didn't ask Rob Cavallo for like hey give me the dirt what's Trey like in the studio and at the time of Dookie and all that stuff I mean he must have been you know in his early 20s or or younger so I don't have any dirt on him but what I will say is the the drum stuff on there is pretty flawless and then I remember kind of having that metallica vibe of like yeah but what are the concerts going to be like and Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden they're doing these live shows on mtv and he's killing those drum parts yeah so
2: yeah i saw them um, Lollapalooza 94 which was a pretty 94 95 i don't remember but it was a pretty jammed lineup of like some of my favorite bands and they they had the best sound they were the best live band on the whole tour it was just powerful clean the singing was you know Sounds just like the record. The drumming was flawless. The timing, the groove. It was really impressive to hear three guys just going for it. And it sounded like. Sure. It sounded flawless, but it was still punk. Where some well, of the other Trey bands is- didn't sound like that at all. Like, I won't name right. any names, but there were some of the bands on that tour that was like, whoa, you guys are not sounding good. <laughs> <laughs> you can look it up. You can Wikipedia different bands on Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome.
0: I would love to see the modern drummer review from. Young Mike Dawson. Whoa, you guys are not sounding not good. It sounded good. And everybody Dawson. could
2: hear it and you could uh, it was when like the crowd would start to slowly drift away and go check out the freak show or whatever else was at Bob blues of that year.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, the other thing that, you know, Trey doesn't get a lot of credit for is the fact that Green Day, and I don't once again I don't know this, but I, I know just from being a fan of music. You know, I don't know if Billy Joe did it or who did it, but they've changed styles quite a bit. They've always kind of kept their punk roots, but all of a sudden they'll have a ballad or a song that could almost fit the country scene as far as the drumming style behind it. And Trey doesn't sound like a punk drummer trying to play this slow backbeat groove. Like he always, the drums always sound great.
2: Yeah, I mean he's so, he's kind of like a if you you know put the the blue hair aside, he's. He's a really kind of classic drum obsessed drummer. He loves vintage gear, he loves getting great sounds and he loves the purity of just playing the drums. It's kind of I'm always impressed with just like he's you know, even though they're going for this kind of crazy punk vibe, he's sure. incredibly serious. He's not just a reckless drummer in a in a silly punk band. I mean, they're for real. And I think their songwriting right. is it's about as good as you can get.
0: Honestly. yeah I, I agreed agreed and that's what i dig about it and i think the other thing that's kind of cool is he's still in the scene you know uh when you go to nam there's still this massive line to get the tray cool autograph right yeah. and uh you know and from all accounts seems to be extremely cool so i don't know why i can't speak right now i'm just gonna make noises <laughs> with my mouth guys that's go all check we do out. for an hour anyway yeah, i know that's a good point <laughs> You know that if if people didn't have to drive to work, our our listening audience would just completely fall off the planet. Hey, we've like, we've eh. failed
2: broadcasting school 112 times. So it's yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I just straight up yes. declined to go. So. Um, <laughs> So check out Trey Cool. I'm not even going to give you links. It's not that hard to find. Type in Trey Cool to Google, and you will be fine. And you can see a bunch of stuff with Green Day, and then also stuff with you know with him by himself. And uh, I hope that I get to meet him someday and just have more personal experience with him because, like I said, he's you know, their band was influential to us as far as. We weren't a punk band, but they were a band that shouldn't be getting the mega success they got, but they did because they worked their butts off. But when they're only an hour and a half away, you kind of feel like, well, if they can do it, we can do it. So they were more influential to my band than maybe I've even realized in the past until I really put some time into thinking about how many times their name came up when I was young and, and, and playing with my band. So check yeah. out Trey Cool. I just want to take a second to pause and thank Dream Symbols for sponsoring this episode
2: of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. And in case you missed it, they published a video back in April. If you go to their YouTube page, Dream Symbols and Gongs, look for the one that says Nick Baglio showing off his Dream Symbol stack combinations. So you can get an idea of some of the cool stuff you can do with their Symbols stacking them in different ways that aren't necessarily what they would sell as a stack per se. But Nick is using a 12 over a 10-inch paper-thin splash stack in that video. And he also has a cool sound by getting by combining a 22-inch vintage bliss with a 16-inch paper-thin. So I'm just going to drop in a couple seconds so you can kind of hear what he's doing with that. So check it out. The video is Nick Baglio showing off his Dream Symbol Stack combinations. Once again, thank Dream for sponsoring the show.
0: time for the product close-up and i gotta say this thing's pretty dope (laughs) Uh, you're hearing a guy that is endorsed by yamaha and by audio technica and this is a roland interface for your microphones that allows you to plug straight into your uh, mobile device whether it be an android device or an ios device and It looks pretty awesome. So I'm talking about the Roland Go Mixer. Extremely affordable, and it allows you to take the microphones you already own or line in instruments like a guitar or keyboards or something and go straight into your phone. So have you had a chance to try this out? Yeah. Because I know Miguel did the review. Yeah, he
2: did the review and the video demo. So that's on. It'll be in the show notes. You can check it out. But, yeah, I mean, we... This is one of the things that this past NAM show that we're like, okay, we gotta go make a special trip to Roland because we were we were kind of all thinking like what's the next thing to make it easier to make videos on your phone and stuff. And right. you know, the shore MVI, which we talked about a bunch, I use that. Yep. This was like one like ooh, they just upped it up to level one more notch. So mm-hmm. it and what they were doing in NAM, which was cool, was they had a girl playing guitar and singing and another girl playing keyboards. And they were mixing their sound live, and they were broadcasting it through a live feed uh, immediately. So the guitar was plugged right into this interface. The microphone, the vocal mic was plugged right into it, and the keyboards were plugged right into it. And each one of those has its own level control. So they were able to balance it out a little bit better as they were going and just go straight to streaming. And it sounded awesome. And you
0: have a monitor out so you can check out... Sorry, I'm at the only downfall of doing FaceTime audio is that the wife calls in the middle of a podcast. Um, but I sent her to voicemail, it's fine. But you can monitor the out of this. So before you stream live, you can plug in your headphones, listen to everything, mix it, and then go, okay, cool, we've got good levels. Let's send it to our phone or to our tablet or whatever you want. Right, so.
2: exactly and I mean you yes. could also use it if you just want to, if you're recording you don't have to stream it it's it's just set up to be usb to is that a lightning cable i believe
0: or i think right. there's also the other option the micro usb there's micro usb lightning cable um i mean yeah so it doesn't matter whether you have an android phone or an ios phone it's going to be fine with that what i was really shocked about honestly was uh the price yeah what $109 that makes no sense that's a list that price that makes no sense yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the other thing too that's really cool about this thing is the fact that it doesn't need any power. When you see this you immediately think okay, now I got to find a place to plug this in or I got to the batteries are going to run out during my stream. It's being powered by your phone or your tablet. Yeah. So it doesn't need it it is yeah, it's quite annoying how rad this thing is. And
2: I like that it has controls. So what I what's what the downfall of the MVI for me is that it has no controls on it. You have to do everything within the app. So you have to kind of like set your levels in the app, test it out with a video, and then kind of go, you know, tweak it as you go before you actually commit to the recording. This, it's like you can just play and kind of just get it all, you know, dialed in without having to open up another app, which is really cool. I also like the idea of, uh, because what I do is I run drum mics through a mixer, and all that stuff gets effects applied to it. Right. Um, so then whatever I'm using, if I'm using drum machines or electronic drums, it's all being kind of processed the same way through that mixing board. With this, I could run, you know, I could run my phone into it or an iPod or something to like backing tracks and have those be untouched and clean. And then I could still kind of process my drums how I want. So it just gives more flexibility.
0: Uh, so instead of taking your, your microphone into this you're taking just the line out of your mixing exactly done everything yep so that way you could have 20 mics on your kit yep tons of effects and just go out and it only takes up one of these channels yeah or if you want to
2: do stereo you can just do the left and the right and you still have a line in and out and you still have a mic input and you still have a guitar input option jeez <laughs> yeah. you could this is basically set up for like bands to do live streaming without having right. a whole you know having to do a whole bunch of post-production sure it's really no, i think
0: it's I think it's pretty awesome. So it's it's the Roland Go Mixer, and yeah, the list price is 109. So um, it's, you're going to find it at least cheaper than that. But um, it's pretty cool. And I'm trying to think like so on it, you don't have any EQ on it, right? No, it had. They have an app just that you can kind of okay. go in and
2: fix wow. the mix a little bit there. But generally, really you're gonna cool. you're gonna adjust your own sound before you go into it. So the guitarist will tweak his EQ and, or you'll sure, sure. tweak your drum sound in your mixing
0: board. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty neat. Awesome. Well, check out the Roland go mixer. Uh, you can find it on Roland site, but I'm sure any online retailer is probably carrying this now and selling out mm-hmm. of them. Cause that's just that, like you said, it's the missing link that we've, a lot of us have been waiting for when, when you think like, well, I, I just spent a thousand dollars on this microphone I don't want to have to now buy a, a $200 microphone because it goes into my phone or, right. yeah. you know, and just to be able to go straight in as it's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, and I love the fact that it doesn't need any power. That's to me. That's one of those things where I always lose the adapter. I'm never responsible enough to change the batteries. <laughs> yeah. So it's always when you need it. Powers yeah, itself. Dead. Exactly. Yeah. I will definitely lose the cord, but the good thing is, it looks like they're using uh, pretty standardized cables, so I can always get more of those from Amazon. Alrighty, let's move on now to listener questions. Indeed, where are we at? So I kind of went through a bunch of these are these are older ones, but
2: try to get through maybe a handful of these. So we've got um, first one is from Matt. Have you ever played the Yamaha Live Custom Drums? I'm a fan of Yamaha drums, um, and I like that they offer a 22x14 kick drum, but I'm not sure mm-hmm. about the oak shells. Nothing against oak, but I've never had any experience playing oak. Do you have a take on them?
0: Hmm. I do. Do you? I do not. I've, I've, I've only played those drums at NAM. I have played that exact size setup with the 22x14. Um, I will say this. Yamaha. When you play Yamaha drums at Nam, it's very different than playing any other drums because Yamaha always has their own area, right? So yeah. you're not getting a ton of drummers around you jamming. So I feel like I got a good sense of the kit. Uh, to me, it was just a, a fantastic drum set at a fantastic price. But um, I, I didn't get a chance to review it like you did. So what are your thoughts?
2: Oak in general, of course. There's exceptions. Every rule for me is a, is emphasis on the attack and the the volume they're they're louder that's why they're called live custom drums they're okay they're easier to get a louder more cutting sound out of that doesn't mean they can't go low and you can't dampen them down to get a darker sound but just out of the box they're going to be noticeably brighter and more uh present than say a mahogany kit so so i'd say Mm -hmm. if you need drums that really cut i would say check them out um Awesome. So the next one is coming from Ash. says, I've recently damaged a ligament in my left wrist. Have you guys ever had any injuries and have you got any advice on the rehab and what to do when I can start using my hand again? Nope. Nope. I did injure my left arm in grad school from arm wrestling that was really cool what a stunt are you oh yeah you're left handed well that was the problem i was arm wrestling a guy who could beat me right-handed but he couldn't beat me left-handed so we couldn't we couldn't end the battle we just kept going and we probably did like 10 rounds wow so it it, you're competitive yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) why in my younger days i was so it got it That really kind of did something weird inside my forearm. I'm sure someone will know what, but it was kind of in the middle of my forearm. It just hurt. It felt like the muscles were separated. Uh, And that lingered for probably six months. So I would, my only advice would be very patient and be cognizant of when it hurts and when it doesn't hurt and see someone who can help you out with you know what medications to take, what kind of physical therapy. Yeah, because if I and I wasn't in a huge heavy practice stage at that point, I was that was grad school. So I was more in studying harmony and things like that. If I would have been an undergrad and practicing the heavy and playing in marching band, it might have been really bad. Um, so I was yeah. able to just kind of take it easy and not not overdo it.
0: Yeah, and I didn't mean I've never had an injury. I just meant no, I don't have any medical advice because <laughs> uh, my my medical school tenure was extremely short i would accept i would say this go float go that's the only thing that's man it fixed my shoulder you don't even understand i was doing jazzercise moves with my wife this morning um that sounded weird what (laughs) We, we, we had some music on and she's like how's your shoulder is it still fine and i start and i was like check this out and i was going like full john travolta and i was like i have no shoulder problems now um it's crazy so uh at least give it a shot Cost you 80 bucks or 60 bucks or something for an hour float. You'll think about some amazing things. You'll solve world hunger and then you'll probably have a better tendon. <laughs> Next. Oh, man, that was a I lot of I might be cockamamie. overstating it. <laughs> <laughs> there might be some snake oil in there, but, uh, but uh, it worked for me. All right, I'll leave that there.
2: Okay, we're coming to. Uh, okay, Aaron. I guess it's Aaron, A R O N. He's from Iceland. Aaron or Aaron. Uh, I find myself overwhelmed by the amount of drumming material and ideas available. Every week you guys mention a new topic which I want to try out and work on. It feels like I'm just scratching the surface before moving on to other ideas. What are your thoughts on making practice plans for topics to work on, and how do you keep track
0: of the progress? Isn't that just so like the biggest epidemic that social media has caused for drummers right now or musicians in general it's is this so, overwhelming thing. It's
2: so the opposite of when I was starting where it's like, I couldn't get resources, like to get a copy of the new breed required me to go to Atlanta, Georgia and go to a basic convention mm. and buy
0: it at one of the dealers. <laughs> you know? Dude, I went, I went to the Berkeley school of music bookstore in Boston just to, just to find a little sneak peek of what the kids at Berkeley were working on. <laughs> right. You know? Uh, and I bought the whole curriculum. Uh, <laughs> it was like 10 days of per diem on tour just to get that. But yeah, I'm with you. And <clears throat> the other thing is I think that there's also so much access to great things. I, I like, I mean, I'm a big guy that's always talking about how there's just too much education on YouTube. Like every once in a while, I'll, I'll kind of look around for some stuff just to see, Oh, what, what's the online drum lesson landscape besides what I'm doing looks like. And there's just so much. And some of it's great. Some of it's not so great. Some of it's incorrect. Some of it, um, is really well filmed and maybe some of it's not well filmed but anyways there's the other thing is there's so much great stuff that I'm like oh I should do that and I should do that mm-hmm. and, um <clears throat> it kind of comes down to just being able to say okay there are 10 million things I want to learn what is at the top of that list right now and let me just have that year of that whatever it is um you know, the year of time or, and just understand this stuff takes a long time. I'm starting to do that a lot more in my teaching. Now, part of the teaching of whatever I'm teaching is making sure that I've mentioned once or twice how long it took me to get this down so that the, the student or the viewer has just some relative s- sense of time of like, oh, okay, cause you taught it in three minutes. So I assumed it took you three minutes to get down and it's like, Oh no, no. no. This was years 16, 17, and 18 for me as a teenager. That's how long it took. It took me three years to really perfect this. You know, um, When you see Stanton Moore play his, you know, his New Orleans pattern that he always plays, you just assume like, oh, you figured it out and then you played it. And it's like, no, the dude fellowshipped with that thing like it was a college for those eight notes. Yeah, exactly. Um, And, yeah, so I think – but the the other thing that I think happens that we discount or maybe we don't even mention is if you did Stanton's pattern for for two years straight – you know how many things you would learn on the drum set while doing that? Because then you'd come up with independence exercises for that pattern. You'd come up with dynamic exercises for that pattern. And even though you only worked on eight notes, you'd learn two million things based around those eight notes that would help you with whatever you're gonna learn next. So I don't think it's just as simple as you just sit there playing these eight notes on loop at 72 BPM for three years. It's that you explore it and find every, every crevice inside of it and every different feel that lives with it and what songs you can play it with. And it becomes a tool in your toolbox. Yeah, I think ultimately
2: you know when to move on when you feel like you can't get anything more out of it. And you got yeah. to explore something else, which I almost guarantee it's going to make you go back and revisit that thing. And you're going to see it in a whole new light. Uh, Agreed. But, so I my f- my answer to this question is kind of like not good for the drum teaching industry. <laughs> sure. I think if you think about the most legendary educators of drum history, you've got – uh, well back in the day it would have been um, Joe Jones and and the guys in New York and, and Buddy Rich's guy Henry Adler uh, you've got Jim Chapin you've got Joe Morello what did they all teach almost exclusively to everyone? Fundamentals how Fundamentals, to hold yeah. the stick how to get an efficient stroke how to get a clean single stroke how to get a clean double stroke and how to play clean accents versus taps I think ultimately if you just work on that for ten, fifteen years, you're gonna have all the other stuff kinda of happening. I mean there's other layers with independence, but for me it always goes back to the fundamentals. Like if you you see the shiny new technique that someone's doing online, you inevitably can break it down into singles and doubles and and right. patterns of singles and doubles just played in a different way. But if you can't if you can't analyze it to that level, then I don't think you're ready for that technique yet. Like if you're just seeing it as this this 16 note lick and you don't see that it's a paradiddle plus an inverted paradiddle plus a whatever whatever I think you gotta go back and just investigate sticking so that's that's always I know it's not the it's probably why I don't have a ton of students because it's like can you play a paradiddle well okay there's a next year we're gonna do this (laughs) you know it's like but I mean I've been working on playing in time I mean I went to interview Steve Jordan six years ago I mean, it's been everyday obsession for me. So I think it just comes down to each person's take and what you're interested in and and how good is good enough for you. Uh, I'm obsessive to the point where nothing is ever good enough. I just get to the point where I'm just bored with myself and I have to move on. (laughs) Yeah,
0: man. (laughs) Uh, I know that (laughs) one. Uh, Yeah, I'm like, okay, well, if if the person that wrote this book was standing next to me, no, I, I don't have this down to that level yet, but I also am really bored of doing this, but like you said, when I get to that level, I know that I'll revisit this in two years. I just took um, I took <laughs> I took Kim Plainfield's book home and uh advanced concepts just yesterday. Now I've had this book, I mean God, for like twenty years or something. I I mean I've had it since it came out. And Amber goes, "What's up with the dude with the weird shirt on our counter?" <sighs> and I'm like, I'm like, babe, I know, but that book is brilliant and i haven't worked out of it in a long time and i took it upstairs and and it was like seeing it for the first time but i've i've worked on every page out of that book but i hadn't in like two or three years and in those two or three years my skills have grown a lot because i've been practicing other things and now i got to look at this stuff with a fresh perspective yeah totally Totally. so i I think what mike and i are both saying whether it be the online world or the non-online world Narrow things down and be okay with the fact that it takes a really long time to be proficient at anything on this instrument and really just enjoy the journey. Yep.
2: As we said, no practice is going to hurt you.
0: (laughs) Right? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Just practice anything, just pick something and practice. All right. We- it is time for our, well, go, oh, go. Uh, no, I mean,
2: right, yeah, let's, I'll say we've got a million more questions, but um, we're going to, I guess, we'll have to cut it there.
0: So. Maybe a Q&A, I mean a um, listener question episode coming up soon. We should do that, yeah.
2: So get them in now, okay. mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We've got maybe, we've got enough, almost enough for a whole show, but, you know, keep sending them in. Okay. We appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Well, now it's time for our picks of the week. This is a chance for Mike and I to give you uh, or alert you to something that has made an impact in our world. Sometimes it's gear. Sometimes it's a book and sometimes it's video content. And my pick of the week this time is video content. Uh, I had a student here from two camps ago that stayed behind for a few days just to hang out and stuff. And, uh, he was from somewhere in the UK. I'm, I don't know, uh, bath bath. He was from bath. Anyways, his name was Kim and Kim showed me this artist, uh, do you know Sun Lux, S-O-N-L-U-X? I do not. It sounds familiar, but okay. I do not know it. I really, I, I sent you the link. I really want us to cover this drummer because this kid is a stud. So uh, the video I want you guys to check out, it's Sun Lux, S-O-N, space, L-U-X. The song is called Easy. And so it's Sun Lux, Easy with Woodkid, live at Montreux Jazz Festival in 2016. This is incredible. I mean, there's like full orchestra, full string section, uh, full brass section. And then there's this kid on the drums. Now, wait a minute. Is that Ian? Um, Um, Ian Chang? Is that his name? I can tell you in one second his name is Ian Chang. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He's the guy that did all the demos for that, that really crazy
0: electronic thing, the sensory percussion. Okay. We're, we're covering him, because that kid is a stud. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's a beast. Okay, so uh, Aluminum Snare, Ian Chang, next week, <laughs> we're doing it. Um, I, I'm a fan of this kid, because, not because of the drum. I mean, the drumming is fantastic, but the passion, this dude, you got to watch this video, um, like I said, it's called Sunlux Easy with Wood Kid, live at the Montreal Jazz Festival, 2016 it is fantastic it has 1.2 million views for a reason nice and the drummer and ian is just uh he's on fire so uh yeah definitely check it out and yeah sun lux is um is not the artist that's the band it's actually a trio and the piano player is the singer ian is the drummer and Rafik batia is uh the guitar player and these guys are just fantastic. And then they made this big orce- orchestral thing. So Take check it. it out.
2: That's super cool. All right. My pick of the week is another, it's a video as well, but is not as a mm-hmm. uh, little bit different. So I've, I saw this months ago when Pearl put it out, but I just watched it again and I can't stop obsessing over Shannon Forrest. So if you go to, oh yeah, YouTube, Shannon Forrest Pearl uh, Masterworks. Um, I think that'll get Sonic you there. Sonic shell recipe? Yeah, is that the one? Exactly. So he's essentially he's demoing the new Pearl uh, Studio drum shell, um, the six ply. I think it's gum with with maple or something. I'm not sure, but it's their their kit designed for studio playing. But so there's a bit of commercial element to it. But just listen sure. to the guy play, and I know knowing Shannon, there's. He would not do a ton of post production to make these drums sound better than they do. Um, it's all coming out of his hands, and I can't believe the the sounds that this guy produces with his two hands. It's it's unreal. His snare drum sound is so distinct and like perfect. Uh, Dude, his touch. I'm gonna is watch crazy. that for sure. I mean, he he does something with his touch where he kind of pulls more resonance out of the snare drum than most people. So it kind of sounds like it has some reverb. But it's not overtone.
0: It's like a different thing. That's weird, though, because, yeah, like you would think that that's the exact opposite of what you want in a studio session if it was overtone. Yeah. Which which for the average drummer would mean, oh, just hit it harder. Yeah. Hit it off-center, you get more ring. But you're saying he's getting more just... Just air. I don't even know. Air. Ugh. It's just
2: depth. And and I can say from firsthand being in his studio in the room that he's did this video and I was in that room and I got to watch him play, he's getting it from his hands. <laughs> Whatever he's it doing is. It. Like I hit the snare wow. drum, I was like, okay, it sounds like a snare drum. He played That's and so it was just cool. had like like a halo around it. That's the only way I can describe it. Like every backbeat had like a halo around it.
1: That's Beautiful. Really cool. So he's
2: he's got you know, probably my favorite touch on the instrument.
0: Well, we are sending you down the YouTube rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, so check out. It's uh, literally the, the video is called Masterworks Sonic Select Shell Recipe. So they're obviously doing a whole series of these with different people yeah. with different shell recipes. And then this is called Studio Featuring Shannon Forrest. Yep. And then for my video, it's Sunlux Easy with Woodkid Live at Montreux Jazz Festival 2016. And between those two, you're going to experience every ounce of art. And every ounce of just uh, craft, professional studioism yeah. there is, yeah, exactly. So you'll you'll be covered on all bases, and no fancy. Well, everyone, ricks, right? <laughs> n- no, actually, wait till you see Ian. Like it's his arms are flying around like uh, just a full, you know, rock super stud. But the the drumming is just so hip and cool. Um, so I think everyone will enjoy that. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you can, go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a rating and a review. Those reviews, that's those ratings and reviews are how other drummers find this podcast. So every time you do that, it really helps us. Or if you want, you can always tag something silly that we said, like, I don't know, doing jazzercise with the wife. And you can put that on Instagram or whatever, and Mike and I will always respond to it. So. <laughs> And actually, put on like a Jane Fonda video, she has her uh, size. but
2: my gosh,
0: <laughs> yeah, what's up, man? Welcome to the, well, uh, just to wrap that up. The reason why it all came about is Amber is going to uh, one of her friend's fortieth birthday parties, and she rented out her friend rented out a yoga studio and is throwing an um, an eighties themed yoga party. So everyone has to wear 80s workout gear. So uh. all of a sudden I'm getting these receipts from Amazon that's like jelly bracelets and <laughs> 80s leotard. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And, th- and then so so anyway, so around our bedroom, are different 80s paraphernalia, guide, <laughs> the cleaners are going to think we got some weird thing going on. <laughs> i going be like, yeah, I guess he's into the 80s, like really into oh, the 80s. Man. But whatever. It's all good. I don't care. <laughs> So, everyone have a fantastic week. Brother Mike, I will see you soon, buddy. All right, see you.